Back Blue Shirts fans to episode number 162 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. That song you are hearing right now is, of course, friends from our good friends in Pacifier, and they were nice enough to let us use their newest song here. We will switch back to Leave the Lights On next week. It's just too perfect for a hockey podcast, but wanted to show some love from their new song. Obviously, you know, they've been... Uh, very friendly to this podcast, allowing us to use their tunes in the intro here. And we've got breaking news just as I start this recording here. It looks like Pavel Buchnevich is back at practice today on Tuesday. I watched the video real quick just before I push record here, and it looks like he's zipping around the ice without really any issues. So he looks to be at 100%. I mean, I'm no doctor or anything like that, but it looks like he's going to be out there uh, practicing without any limitations. And, you know, that's what David Quinn indicated. You know, he said that Pavel Buchnevich was in no danger of missing the qualifying round against the Carolina Hurricanes, and that indeed comes to fruition today. He's back at practice, so you got to assume that he'll be good to play in the games as well. So great news there. He is a very important part to the top line. And the Rangers, you know, we've talked about how they do lack a little bit of secondary scoring, so you they can ill afford to lose one of their top six forwards. And another day, another NHL statement on COVID-19. This was released yesterday. The statement reads as follows. The NHL concluded the first five days, July 13 through July 17, of Phase 3 formal training camp of its return to play with two positive test results for COVID-19 among the 2,618 tests administered to more than 800 players. Both players who tested positive have self-isolated and are following CDC and Health Canada protocols. During Phase 3, the NHL will continue to provide regular updates on the number of tests administered to players and the results of those tests. The league will not be providing information on the identity of the players or clubs. And I suppose you got to take it. I mean, listen, two positive tests is still too, too many. But when you consider the fact that 2,618 tests were administered and you only come up with two that were positive, uh, that's overall a step in the right direction, obviously. The percentage of positive tests has obviously gone down from where it was a couple of weeks ago. And that's obviously some good news. And really, I mean, it's just kind of a day-by-day thing here. You just have to keep your fingers crossed and hope that the NHL has made the right decision and that we can get through these Stanley Cup playoffs without any further incident, without this virus spreading. And that's pretty much all there is to it. Something else that's kind of related to this news is the fact that the NBA recently did some tests as well. And in fact, zero out of 346 players tested positive for COVID-19 since July 13 in the Orlando bubble that they've got going on there for the NBA playoffs. So that's obviously great news. And it goes to show that if players adhere to the safety protocols put in place by these leagues, that there's at least a fairly good chance that nothing's going to happen. And so you just hope that this continues. I mean, there's no guarantees going forward, and all it takes really is for one player to get it. Uh, we know this thing can spread easily. And again, I'm no medical expert. I'm just relaying the kind of news that I've heard about this virus to everybody else. So again, you know, it's just a situation you keep your fingers crossed for all these leagues, you know, MLB, NBA, NHL, soon to be the NFL. And you just hope that all these games can happen without a hitch or they can go as smoothly as possible and you just get through it all and COVID-19 does not spread. But now that we got that out of the way, we can turn our attention to the Rangers, and today we're going to have two anniversaries in Ranger history to celebrate. We're going to save that for a little bit later in the episode, but one of them involves Mika Zibanejad, and the other one involves the great one, Wayne Gretzky. But we got to start with the news that we finally know Brennan Lemieux's punishment 
for his illegal hit on Jonas Donskoy earlier this season, much earlier this season. In fact, that happened right before the season was paused on March 10th, and it only took the NHL four months to determine a penalty for Brendan Lemieux, so not too shabby. But uh, no, listen, I know the NHL had a lot on its plate. It had to, again, it had to start a playoff tournament from scratch, basically, and just come up with a format that was going to make everybody happy and be fair to all these teams. It had to establish some health and safety protocols for returning to play. It had to figure out which two cities it was going to use for the hub city. So, yeah, they had a lot to do. I still think four months is a little bit ridiculous to determine the length of a suspension, especially when right away they told Brennan Lemieux and they told the Rangers, yes, he is going to be suspended for this illegal hit. And you'll get an argument from me. It was an illegal hit and there does need to be some kind of a punishment for it. But again, I don't think that's a four plus month job to determine a player's penalty for an illegal hit. But be that as it may, we finally know the Rangers are going to be without Brandon Lemieux for the first two games of the playoffs against the Hurricanes. And yesterday I talked about some contingency plans for the Rangers, how they can get by without Brandon Lemieux in the lineup. I think you might see Philip DiGiuseppe there on the third line. And then Greg McKaig and Brett Howden now seem likely to be locks for the starting lineup when the puck drops for Game 1 and probably for Game 2 as well. I mean, I suppose we could toss out Vitali Krasov and Vinny Letary as dark horses to dress for Game 1 and or Game 2, but I don't see that happening. I don't think the Rangers make a dramatic shift now. I think they go into the playoffs with the group that got them there as much as they can. And then when Brendan Lemieux comes back... It's probably going to be one of the following three players that ends up being a healthy stretch. It'll probably be either Howden, but I don't think it will be Howden just because the Rangers haven't really gone down that road this year. Howden, in fact, played in all 70 games this season for the Rangers, so I don't see that changing. And then also Philip DiGiuseppe, he could be a candidate to sit out when Brendan Lemieux comes back. And then also Greg McKaig, and to me, it seems likely that he would be the odd man out. If everybody's healthy and Brendan Lemieux's suspension is up, unless Greg McKaig absolutely just plays uh, fantastic hockey in games one and two, then I would look to him to maybe be the guy who sits out for game three and beyond, although I suppose you never know. And it's just something we're going to have to keep our eye on and just see how these players perform in games one and two. It's going to be unfortunate for the Rangers to not have Brendan Lemieux because he brings, you know, some edge, some snarl, some kind of old school hockey. I think he's one of those guys that just kind of sparks the Rangers. And something else to consider, you know, all these arenas are going to be empty. So the players aren't going to have the fans to feed off of for these playoff games. They're going to have to take it upon themselves to just get each other going for these games, whether that's making noise uh, from the bench, whether that's, you know, a rousing speech in the locker room, whatever it might be. And Brandon Lemieux, I just think he's one of those guys that kind of sparks his team because he's not the biggest guy out there on the ice, but he backs down from absolutely nobody. I mean, he fought Tom Wilson this year. Enough said right there. I mean, you're fighting a losing battle. I don't think anybody really likes Tom Wilson, but it's also maybe not the smartest idea to drop the gloves with him. You're going to lose probably a lot more often than not. But yeah, Brandon Lemieux, man, he's just one of those spark plugs. He's one of those guys that, you know, I think gives the Rangers a little bit of an edge. Like I said, a little bit of a snarl and kind of takes after his dad a little bit in that way. But yeah, it's unfortunate, you know, and it's, it's really too bad that he won't be suspended for regular season games next year as opposed to playoff games this year. Because when that happened, when that hit occurred, the Rangers had 12 games left in their regular season. So he was going to be suspended, sure, but it was going to be for regular season games, not playoff games. And so as far as the punishment is concerned, it does seem a little steep just because what would the punishment have been if it was for the regular season? 
you know, was Brandon Lemieux looking at a four-game suspension for the regular season? And so because the playoffs, they knocked it down to two. Was he looking at a three-game regular season suspension? And so they knocked it down to two for the playoffs. Or was it going to be two games no matter what, and the league just didn't care whether it was regular season or playoffs? It's kind of a bad break for Lemieux and for the Rangers. And like I said, it's definitely a suspendable offense. I have no issue whatsoever with that. But I don't know, two playoff games, especially considering the fact that it's a best-of-five series and, you know, these these series can be over very quick. They can go one way or another very fast. And I don't know, that's that's a pretty harsh punishment, I think, for that hit. But the NHL may not care whether it's regular season games or playoff games. They may not have any sympathy for a player who delivers an illegal hit. And Brandon Lemieux is classified as a repeat offender. So all those factors put together, the NHL comes to a decision that it's going to be two playoff games for Brandon Lemieux. I kind of had my fingers crossed that it would be just one. Or, you know, in a perfect scenario for us Ranger fans, Brandon Lemieux wouldn't be suspended until the regular season next year. So... I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. I'm not sure what the exact right solution is, but I get the feeling that the NHL, like I said, when they reviewed this, they just didn't have a lot of sympathy for Brian Lemieux because an illegal hit's an illegal hit, and if you're going to be punished for the regular season, a certain amount of games for the regular season, then maybe you just get the same punishment for the playoffs. I don't know. I don't know what the exact uh, logic there was, but be that as it may, Rangers going to have to figure it out without Brian Lemieux for the first two games of their playoff series. Some other notes from Ranger practice. It's definitely looking like Igor Shesterkin is beginning to really tighten his hold on the starting goalie job. That is the general consensus among Ranger media members who have been at these practices. And it's a situation where the only way Shesterkin was ever really going to lose the starting job here was if either... Lundqvist or Georgiev really outplayed him by a clear margin in these practices and in these scrimmages, and that has not happened. And in fact, according to most of the reporters who have been in attendance, they all seem to think that Shesterkin has played the best of the three goalies. So even if it truly was a wide-open competition, as David Quinn labeled it, and even if it was a situation where all three of these Ranger netminders had an equal chance to be the starter, even under those conditions, it kind of sounds like it might be Shesterkin who is emerging as the front runner. And I get why Quinn dubbed it as an open competition. He doesn't want to just hand the job to Igor Shesterkin. Obviously, Shesterkin's just a rookie. He's only started 12 games in his NHL career, but it's also impossible to ignore what Shesterkin has done since getting the call up to the Rangers. Uh, more importantly, it's impossible to ignore what the Rangers have done since Shesterkin got the call up to New York. The Rangers are 10-2 and in games started by Shesterkin, and it's entirely possible that this playoff push and this second-half surge that we've been seeing do not happen without Shesterkin in net. He's got 252 goals against average, a 932 save percentage, pretty much says it all. And we got a quote from Igor Shesterkin. He said this through his interpreter at practice. Obviously, I'm working hard every day, playing at 100%, working hard to reach that goal to be back, but it all depends on the coaching staff. The bottom line is, I'm so happy to be back. No matter what happens, I'll be supportive of my teammates. So obviously good to hear that Shesterkin is back and he's embracing this challenge of winning the starting goaltender job. And even though I've been pretty consistent and most Ranger reporters have been pretty consistent in predicting that it's going to be Igor Shesterkin as the starting goalie in the playoffs, that's not to say there isn't a case to be made for anyone else. I mean, Lundqvist, we've talked about this, but he completely owns the Hurricanes. We know that. Lundqvist is experienced in the playoffs. He's clearly on the back nine of his career, and so there might be some fans that you know, even for sentimental reasons, would like to see Hank on the ice for these playoffs. And then Alex Georgiev, he actually started more games for the Rangers than anybody else this season, and he's had his moments as well. Lundqvist and Georgiev both have goals against averages over three, but they were probably also hurt by the Rangers being disorganized defensively in the early portions of the season, whereas by the time Shesterkin took over, you know, the Rangers were a little bit more settled and just playing better overall team defense. 
Another piece of news is that, according to David Quinn, Liber Hayek could be in the running for some playing time in the postseason here. This is something that we mentioned very, very briefly in our last episode. Gonna dive into it a little bit deeper today. And Hayek, you know, you might remember he started the season with the Rangers. He was on the same line as Jacob Truba, got some pretty significant ice time for a rookie. And he played okay at times, but overall, I think it's fair to say that he struggled during his time with the Rangers. It might have been a situation where he just wasn't ready for that big of a role at the the NHL level, and perhaps some more seasoning in the AHL was the way to go. He went back to the Wolfpack. He actually got injured and then went back to the Wolfpack, but Hayek is just 22 years old, so it's possible that the next time around with the Rangers, whether that's in the playoffs now or whether that's sometimes next season, could be a little bit different. But despite all of this, I would imagine the Rangers are still going to stick with the six defensemen that they've been rolling with throughout the second half of the season. Basically, ever since the Brady Shea trade, it's been the same six defensemen uh, dressing on game night for the Rangers. And I just get the feeling this is probably a form of coach speak, and it's Quinn's way of promoting some competition and just kind of trying to light a fire under pretty much all these guys. I mean, maybe Liber Hayek, you know, he realizes that he could be in the running for some playing time, and he really steps on the gas. There's other guys trying to hold him off. It's a good thing. It's good to have have competition. It's good to have all these guys believing that there's a chance that they could be on the ice, but I just don't see it. I don't see a need to, as we talked about yesterday, reinvent the wheel when it comes to some of these things. I don't see the need to do anything dramatic because, again, the Rangers, post-All-Star break, one of the best teams in hockey, so I'm not going to roll the dice with Liber Hayek, who, you know, pretty much struggled in his first go-around with the Rangers. There were times where he looked okay, but the Rangers have been rolling, and they've been rolling with the same six defensemen night in and night out. Uh, Hayek, this season for the Rangers, skated in 28 games, but like I said, he got injured and never really got his way back into the starting lineup. He did play one game for the Rangers on January 11th, but it was kind of a one-and-done situation, and prior to the January 11th game, the last time he appeared in a game with the Rangers was December 5th. And as far as him beating out one of the six incumbent defensemen, it's possible, but I would not bet on it because... For starters, there are four defensemen on the Rangers who are complete locks to start in the playoffs. Barring injury or illness, Adam Fox, Ryan Lindgren, Tony D'Angelo, Jacob Truba, they will all be active on game night. I can't possibly see that going any other way unless one of them just has their game completely fall off a cliff, but that really does not seem likely. Uh, could Hayek step in and take the place of either Brennan Smith or Mark Stahl? It's not impossible, but I would imagine that one of those guys would basically have to play himself out of the role. These playoffs would have to start. If somebody has just a miserable Game 1 performance, then it's possible in a best-of-five series, we talked about this as well, there could be kind of a quicker hook, a little bit more of a knee-jerk reaction on the part of not just David Quinn, but coaches around the NHL. You can't wait around for guys to find their game. you got to go with the guys who are playing well. And if there's a situation where either Brennan Smith or Mark Stahl plays poorly in Game 1, then maybe they go to Liber Hayek in Game 2. But I would imagine that it's not going to happen unless Brennan Smith and Mark Stahl have probably consecutive bad games. If, if if either one of those guys just is not getting the job done early in the series, then maybe Liber Hayek jumps in there in place of one of them. And again, all this talk of Hayek possibly working his way into the starting lineup, it could very well be David Quinn's way of just motivating his players, making sure all his defensemen stay hungry, and promoting competition. Because as we've discussed in the past, once the Rangers traded Brady Shea to the Hurricanes, they moved Brennan Smith from forward back to defense, and the Rangers have basically been going with those same six defensemen night after night after night. And I would think they would probably want to stick with what has been working for the playoffs. 
The Rangers are actually practicing right now as I'm recording this podcast. And one piece of news that everybody might be interested in is that it looks like Brett Howden has stepped in on the second power play unit in place of Brandon Lemieux. Obviously, like we talked about, the Rangers going to be without Brandon Lemieux four games, one and two. And it looks like Brett Howden is at least getting a chance to stake his claim to being out there on the power play. And it sounds like practice has just now wrapped up right here around noontime. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and talk about these two Ranger anniversaries as promised. One involving Mika Zibanejad, the other involving Wayne Gretzky. And then at the very end, you know, if there's any interesting uh, pieces of news coming out of this Ranger practice, then I will talk about them at the very end of the episode. But for now, let's go ahead and talk about Mika Zibanejad for starters, because Saturday was the four-year anniversary of the Rangers acquiring Mika Zibanejad in a trade with the Ottawa Senators. And where do we even start here? Uh, For starters, the Rangers robbed the Senators blind in this trade, okay? And they... I hate to say that because what they gave away was Derek Broussard, who is one of my all-time favorite Rangers. He was my favorite player on the Rangers when this trade was made. So I was a little bit down when the trade happened. I at least understood why the Rangers did it, but it was still disappointing to see one of my favorite players leave the Rangers. And the full trade was the Rangers receiving Mika Zibanejad and a second-round draft pick in exchange for Derek Broussard and a seventh-round draft pick. So if the player-for-player aspect of this trade wasn't enough to let you guys know that the Rangers absolutely just destroyed the Senators in this deal. The Rangers also moved up five rounds in the draft as part of this deal. Now, the Rangers ended up dealing that second-round draft pick to the Detroit Red Wings, and they use it to select Jonathan Bergeron, and he has yet to make his NHL debut, still just 19 years old, so we'll see how that turns out for the Detroit Red Wings. But bottom line, even if you take the draft picks out of the equation, the Rangers obviously won this deal by a landslide, and I can remember when the trade happened, and it kind of came from out of nowhere. There wasn't really any talk that Derek Broussard was going to be traded, and my friend Bobby Sampson, he's been on this show a couple of times. He's the big Flyers fan. We won't hold that against him too much, but he was a huge, huge Mika Zibanejad fan even before this trade was made, and he was kind of talking me off the ledge a little bit, like, dude, Mika Zibanejad's big time. This kid's got a lot of potential. You're going to love him. He's going to be great, and again, you know, I understood the trade, and I liked Mika Zibanejad. It sounded like he had some real upside, a real chance to become a great player in this league, but there was still that part of me that's like, yeah, man, but you know, I like Derek Broussard. You know, he's my guy, and and really, you could almost make the case that this was the start of the Rangers' rebuild. They weren't in full-fledged rebuild mode at the time, but they did trade away a proven player, a guy who had had some great seasons with the Rangers, a guy who had delivered in the playoffs, a guy who had often centered the Ranger top line, and they got rid of him, and they brought in a young kid who had yet to really spread his wings at the NHL level. So you could make the case that this was the very, very first move of the Ranger rebuild. And again, they weren't in full-fledged, you know, tear everything down, start over, build a new foundation. They weren't quite at that level yet of, of the rebuild. But they did make a conscious decision here to get younger and to make their team better in the long run rather than in the short term. And the Rangers did end up making the playoffs that year. That was Mika Zibanejad's first season with the team, but they have not been back to the playoffs since. And after that year is kind of when they basically started really, really going into rebuild mode, uh, getting rid of some of these veteran players, making themselves younger, stockpiling prospects, stockpiling draft picks, the whole nine yards. And Mika Zibanejad obviously has been a huge part of that rebuild. Like I said, the first move of the rebuild was bringing in Mika Zibanejad. And what has Mika Zibanejad done since the Rangers acquired him? Well, he's just become one of the absolute best players in hockey. And he's a player that just keeps getting better and better. And don't take my word for it. Just look at the stats. You want to go by his goal total? Let's let's look at that first. His first year with the Rangers, 14 goals. Then it jumps up to 27, then 30, and then 41 this season despite only playing in 57 games. And then how about his point total? It goes from 37 to 47 
77 to 74 to 75. And again, I can't stress this enough. He only played in 57 games this season. And here's a stat that does not get nearly enough attention as it is related to Mika Zibanejad. He led the NHL this season in goals per game. Now, obviously, he didn't lead the league in goals because he only played in the 57 games, but he scored 0.72 goals per game, just barely ahead of Alex Ovechkin, who had 0.71 goals per game, and then David Pasternak, Austin Matthews, and Leon Draisaitl round out the top five. So yes, Mika Zibanejad, it can now be said, the most lethal sniper in the game today. Let's also look at some of the intangibles, some of the things that don't always show up in the stat sheet. First of all, he has emerged by all accounts as one of the leaders in that locker room, not always necessarily the most vocal guy, but just a guy who commands a lot of respect walking through the locker room and somebody who obviously is in contention to be the next New York Ranger captain. For my money, it's either him or Chris Kreider. Unless there's some dark horse that I'm just not thinking of, I would imagine the next season, if the Rangers name a captain, there's no guarantee that they will, but if they do, it's going to have to be either Mika Zibanejad or Chris Kreider. And speaking of Kreider. Have you watched Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider play hockey together? It's just a treat. I mean, they are always on the same page. They have set each other up for so many goals this season. It's just a beautiful thing to watch. And it's scary to think what Mika Zibanejad might be doing if he played on a line with Artemi Panarin. And I don't want to mess with success. I like the fact that Mika Zibanejad and Artemi Panarin are on opposite lines because it gives both these guys a chance to elevate two other forwards and cause those forwards to be more dangerous. And if you put them together on the same line, then only one forward is going to benefit from playing with both of them. If they're on different lines, four forwards benefit from playing with one or the other. So I do like them being apart, but man, it's scary to think the kind of magic that Zibanejad and Panarin might be able to make together. You know, there was a goal earlier this season. This is before they broke up Zibanejad and Panarin, because if you remember when the season started, they indeed were on the Ranger top line together, and Pavel Buchnevich was out there with them on the right wing. And there was a goal against the Senators in the second game of the season. And you can YouTube it, you can look it up. The passing on this play was just incredible. I mean, it was just blink of an eye kind of stuff. You know, Panarin gains the blue line, passes to Zibanejad, Zibanejad to Buchnevich, Buchnevich back to Zibanejad, Zibanejad the easiest goal he'll ever score in his life. Uh, just a tapping goal at that point. But I mean, these passes, there were three of them, just blink of an eye kind of passes. And Puck goes in the net and Zibanejad scores the easiest goal, like I said, that he will ever get. At that point, all he had to do was just tap it in. But it just gives you the idea of the kind of skill that Mika Zibanejad possesses. You can put him out there with anybody, and he's going to improve the players on his line. And again, just impeccable chemistry with Chris Kreider. Another thing, and again, this doesn't really show up on the stat sheet, but I'm always impressed by Mika Zibanejad on breakaways because it seems like he always scores when he goes in there alone. And he always scores with pretty much the same move. He goes in with a full head of steam. He goes in with, you know, a lot of speed and moves close to the goalie. And right when he's getting near the crease, he'll pull the puck from his forehand to his backhand and he'll just roof it into the net over the goalie's shoulder. And not only does no goalie ever seem to stop this, they never even get close to stopping this. It's like they have no chance. And Zibanejad uses this move a lot. So you would think that the goalie would probably have an idea of what's coming, that he might, Zibanejad might be looking to use this move against him, and they still can't do anything about it. So Mika Zibanejad on a breakaway, again, just a beautiful thing. Very, very good chance that he's going to score. And again, he just uses that same move over and over and over again, and it works every time. It's just crazy. But you really can't say enough about the phenomenal player that Mika Zibanejad has become. And maybe if he didn't miss all those games this season, you know, maybe he's in the MVP candidate. And it's one of those situations where... You know, I really do think Panarin could and should win the award this year, but if Zibanejad had played every single game this season, then 
it might be a situation where those two guys kind of take votes away from each other. You know, we've talked about how the guys on the Bruins, they might take votes away from each other. We talk about uh, the Edmonton Oilers, you know, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, they might take votes away from each other. So it's a good problem to have, you know, the fact that you have two absolute superstar players, and so as a result of that, neither one can really win the MVP. But it's interesting to think, you know, what could have been for Mika Zibanejad. I mean, he had a phenomenal season despite missing all the time that he missed, but if he had been out there for every single game, I mean, his numbers would just be incredible. He'd lead the NHL in goals because, as we said, he leads the NHL in goals per game. So, yeah, I mean, not enough can be said about Mika Zibanejad. Just has become an absolutely fantastic player for the Rangers. I think it's safe to say they won that trade. And listen, it's nothing against Derek Broussard. He didn't do anything wrong. He's still one of my all-time favorite Rangers. And Actually, one of the first few episodes that I did of Locked On Rangers, I campaigned for the Rangers to bring him back because he sat out there as a free agent for months and months and months after free agency started, and then he ends up going to the Islanders on a one-year deal on the cheap, and you know, coming into the season, I'm looking at the Rangers centers, and okay, we got Mika, so that's great. He'll center the top line, no issues there. But then you've also got guys like, you know, Brett Howden and Leas Anderson and Ryan Strom and Greg McKay, and I'm like... I'm looking at it, and it's just like, is this really what we're going to go into the season with? Now, granted, Ryan Strom has been a far better player this season than anyone would have anticipated, but the way I looked at it at the time, if you bring back Broussard, he'd be the number two center on this team, and if nothing else, he gives you a veteran presence, a guy who's used to playing in New York, a guy who's been to the playoffs with New York, been to the Stanley Cup Finals with the Rangers, so I just didn't get why there was no interest there, and I understand Broussard's a little bit older now, I believe he's 32, but don't tell me you can't have a couple veterans on your team, you know? And the Rangers going into the season as the youngest team in hockey, I thought it would have been all right to just bring in one more veteran. But be that as it may, Broussard was not brought back. And I'll start the campaign again right now. Bring Broussard back next season because, again, he only signed a one-year deal with the Islanders. And, you know, again, he's not the player that he used to be. He's not a superstar. I don't know that he was ever really a bona fide superstar, but he was just a damn good player for the Rangers. And I would love to see him back on this team next year in kind of a bottom six forward role. Maybe like a third line center. I don't think that's really pushing it that much with Derek Broussard. And you got to believe most fans would welcome him back with open arms. But be that as it may, yes, the Rangers absolutely crushed the Senators in this trade. And we are happy we have Mika Zibanejad on this team. And the other anniversary that we got to talk about today, today, July 21st, is the 24-year anniversary of Wayne Gretzky signing with the Rangers as a free agent, joining the team in 1996. And, you know, the Rangers only had him for three years, but Ranger fans seem to immediately welcome him. I mean, how could you not? It's Wayne Gretzky. There's such a respect factor there. And was he still at his absolute peak? No, but he was still one hell of a hockey player when the Rangers acquired him. Uh, and in 1996-1997, I always really look back at that team fondly because that's the last time that that core group of Ranger players, the team that won the Stanley Cup, made it to the postseason. And they still had a lot of those key players in place, you know, Messier, Graves, Leach, Richter. And now you add Wayne Gretzky to the mix, and it's like, man, let's go. Let's make one more run at this. And the Rangers got into the playoffs as a five seed that year. They beat the Panthers. They beat the Devils. And then they lost to the Flyers, unfortunately, in five games in the Eastern Conference Finals. But Wayne Gretzky, obviously a huge part of that. And I remember for the playoff run that year, this was so much fun. They basically just stacked the top line. It was Messier centering Gretzky and Tikkanen, which is kind of weird because Messier and Gretzky are both centers. But I think they just figured, you know, hey, let's just roll with our best players out there. And that line just absolutely caught fire, absolutely just dominated the first two playoff rounds against the Panthers and against the Devils. They basically just overwhelmed both those teams. And even as you're watching it, you know, I was pretty young watching it, but it just kind of got the sense that this was uh, the, the Rangers' last stand here. 
and that this was the last chance that this team was going to have to win another Stanley Cup. But Wayne Gretzky, he played that season with the Rangers. That was his first year and stuck around for two more seasons afterward. And again, it was a lot of fun just seeing the greatest player in hockey history play on the Rangers. And in those three years with the Rangers, he racked up 57 goals and 192 assists. And you know how many players would sign up for a three-year stretch like that? And he's doing this in the twilight of his career. And by his standards, those are actually down seasons. In the very last season that he spent with the Rangers, he played in 70 games and had nine goals and 53 assists. So the goals were way down, but he was still at almost a point per game. And he went out on his own terms. You know, he was only 38 years old when he retired. He probably could have continued playing for another three, four, five years if he really wanted to. And not that long ago on MSG, they actually showed the final game that Wayne Gretzky played for the Rangers. And listening to everybody talk about it, it sounds like Gretzky was just, you know, he felt like he could keep playing, but he wasn't sure if he still wanted to because it would just be an absolute grind, you know, in the offseason to get himself ready to play at the level that he wants to play at. And yes, I can do that, but do I really want to? What else do I really have to do in this game? And the answer was not much because, you know, he led every single stat pretty much ever by a wide margin. And he won the Stanley Cup four times in Edmonton, so there's nothing really left to chase, and I understand why he stepped away, and it's nice to see an athlete do that, to retire on their own terms and retire before they become a shell of themselves out there on the ice. So, yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic time. You know, it was really cool just getting to see Wayne Gretzky up close and personal. I had never really gotten to see Wayne Gretzky play before he came to the Rangers. I mean, you know, obviously he spent all those years in Edmonton. That's before I was really watching hockey. Then he's in L.A. How many Los Angeles Kings games do we get to see when we're out here on the East Coast, especially back then when there weren't, you know, options with, like, NHL TV and watching games online and things like that. So I really didn't get to see a lot of Wayne Gretzky, and I'm glad I did at the very end there. But that will do it for today, guys. Once again, thanks so much for tuning in. And if you'd like to get in touch with this podcast, please send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. And be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Again, that is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Now go ahead and tell your smart device to play the latest edition of Locked On NHL. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time.